Hi, and welcome to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. I'm Neil, and Donald J. Trump is still the president of the United States of America. No. Well, it, I think, I was just thinking about it. It's, no matter what you think about the guy at this point, love, hate, maybe you used to like, but now totally disappointed in him for being a sellout or whatever, it's still an amazing fact. I know we're sick of hearing about him, like, after two, three years, but it's weird. It's in itself, like, what we were about, you know, it's a sign of the time. It's completely nuts. This guy comes out of nowhere and he's a president of the United States. He's previously famous for being on TV. Mm. And he basically does a kind of a corporate takeover of the Republican Party. In a sense, he's Republican in name only because he's he's carried along so much of the Republican Party that still hates him, really, most of them. Mm. It's nuts. And so we just had the midterm elections in the U.S. last week. Crikey, what was it? Was it a draw? Yeah, more or less. I mean... There's no blue wave for sure. No, I mean, it didn't sweep Donald Trump out of the White House, so it didn't, it didn't succeed, right? That's kind of what I was getting at. He's still the president. He should have been gone, yeah. And he's not going to be gone. Uh, he's not going to be gone. It's all nonsense. That's what annoys me. It's like these people have spent the last, you know, four years or maybe eight years screaming and... Screaming, screaming at the sky and dyeing their hair uh, an ever, an ever more angry shade of red, um, because of Donald Trump, and it'll all be for nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, I mean, of course they justified themselves that it was that it, you know checks and balances and it kept, you know, kept kept them in line and all that kind of stuff. And but kept fascism at bay. Nonsense. Uh, it's much more complicated than that, obviously. But unfortunately, people, as we often say on this show, is people just don't really think very well, but for the most part, and well. We don't really know how most people think because most people don't actually express their opinion on this. Plus, we have to remember all the time. We have to repeat it to yourself and to other people uh, regularly is that the stuff you're seeing happening uh, via the internet, on the news, let's say, uh, in terms of this social divide, this apparently increasingly um, acrimonious social divide between quote-unquote left and right is represented by a very... A minority on, on both sides mm-hmm. uh, but someone is trying to present it uh, as if it's to, to the rest of the people the vast majority of people as if you know no this is what you think as well you're on one side or the other you know trying to there's a sense that something or someone somewhere I don't know consciously or not but there, there's an effect of trying to pull as many other people who are trying to remain rational about it into this fringe kind of debate you know although it is something that does apply to all other people in, in the country but it just isn't as uh, the vast majority of people, in, not in the country, but like in countries that are involved in this, they're not they're not extremists themselves, you know. They're just uh, a bit lost and not sure of what's happening and not sure what to do and not sure if they should or shouldn't take a side. And they have opinions on this, yes, that, but not that. And, you know, so it's nuanced for most people. And if you ask them, I'd, I'd say most, most of them understand that it's nuanced, but there's this extremist group, particularly on the left, but also... It's easy to pull out the right, you know, the KKK and the Tiki Torch carrying white national, uh, ultra nationalists or supremacist, white supremacists and stuff like that. Jews will not replace us, those guys. Yeah, you know, uh, Hail Victory Brother and stuff. To, to, it's easy to bring them out and say, see here, here's the other side. Mm-hmm. Not really. Those people are, are super extreme, uh, super fringe, you yeah. know. But, um, yeah, so it's sad that uh, this will all, well, you know, this will have really come to nothing, although... At the same time, it's very informative 
mm-hmm. uh, for people who are watching and trying to pay t- uh, pay attention and to try and understand the situation. It does provide a lot of insight that previously was not available, let's say, or wasn't on display um, to to human nature and to the way that society work, works and the world works and the way human being humans being human beings work. So that's all very valuable from a just from a knowledge, learning, and, and growth point of view. But yeah, uh, no no blue wave. And it really, the gains they made was like, it's almost like, you know, well, they lost a lot of seats in the midterm elections under Obama's two terms, the Democrats did. Yeah. So this was really just recouping some of that. And historically, the party that's in power usually loses seats, at least in the Congress during the midterm elections, because it's like, you know, oh, we're bored of this president now after two years, let's, you know, you know. Let's let's push back type of thing, you know. Well, my my, my read on that is that there's disappointment, yeah. That the things, the 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 candidate for president said he wanted to do when he got in, he doesn't do, and it's part well, for whatever right. reason he never meant it or he's hamstrung right. for whatever set of reasons, mm-hmm. and then there's a rebound. Right, well, someone else will get something done. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I'm not so sure what the. The other, the other. You said there's a lot of confusion, but the Democratic Party ran on one thing, although that's not necessarily why they were voted in as a whole, why their candidates won in every given race. Hmm. But their leadership's very clear. Their priority, they announced after the results came out Wednesday, was to get Trump's tax returns. Mm-hmm. In short, to get Trump. Right. Uh, if you look at the actual issues in places where a lot of Democrats won, it was because Trump wasn't mentioned. Mm-hmm. In other words, in those cases, it was not what the whole event was characterized as a referendum on Trump's presidency mm-hmm. thus far. No, it was about local issues. Right, which it, which it is for the vast majority of people. Which but the Democratic Party is like, it's just AWOL about this at, at its leadership level. Mm-hmm. They are, are totally obsessed with get Trump, get Trump. Yeah. And then they think, they probably think now they're, they've, they're confirmed that their strategy is correct by retaking the lower house. Yeah, well, it's, it's totally disingenuous in that part because it's pure politicking, right? Those people, the Democrats, the Democratic leadership don't actually mind Trump at all. They don't really think he's a serious problem. They understand him much more clearly than... Than, than they let on. Than, when they, that they let on and, what, and, and much more clearly than they want the average person, the average Democrat, to see Trump in the way they want them to see Trump. They want them to be forever, never Trump. Mm-hmm. And, you know, vociferously and stridently anti-Trump because it ensures, it keeps their base, you know, it keeps a democratic base with an eye on the next election, you know. So they're only too happy to allow this hysteria over anti-Trump to to carry on while at the same time recognising that when it comes to actual politics in Washington and stuff, they're not, uh, it's business as usual. There's no big deal, and they can do deals. I mean, you know, Trump is no different than George W. Bush in that respect. You know, I mean, the the the, the silly party politics uh, goes on, uh, irrespective of of which Republican leader or Democrat leader is in power. You know, there's a long-standing way to do business or do politics in Washington, and Trump hasn't changed that at all, really. You know, uh, but there's a definite sterilization of the population, deliberately facilitated by the Democratic leadership, in order to keep uh, that that base uh, on song and, uh, you know, strongly supportive of, of the Democratic Party, i.e. with a view to the next election, primarily, because they never, the Democrats probably in a long time have not had the level of, admit, allowing even for the fact that it's, it's, it's a relative minority, 
But when it comes to just anti-Trump, a lot of people have been infected by the, you know, Trump's a traitor, Trump's a sexist, Trump's a misogynist, whatever. Uh, a lot of people, have, ordinary people have been infected, ordinary Democrats have been affected by that. And, and it's a long time since the Democrat leadership had um, that level of anti-Republican, i.e. the other party, uh, sentiment in their camp with leading up to the next election. You know, so it's a long time since they had, as they say, a chance to really sweep to power for sure in 2020 uh, but by, way, by, by leveraging this, uh, this anti-Trump, mm-hmm. uh, which they do disingenuously and, uh, you know, um, but for, purely for political, political purposes, political reasons and to secure their own jobs and secure, you mm-hmm. know, individual Democrats and the Democrat leadership want to ensure that they don't lose their jobs or get kicked out in the next election so, or after the next election. So they, th- that's all it's about, you know. So the people are just, as usual, people are being, the emotionality of the population is being leveraged for a specific purpose, for a specific selfish purpose amongst the uh, political elite. Um, it was the most expensive midterm campaigning ever. Most mm. money thrown at it. Mm. Um, and then I think turnout-wise, it's certainly way higher than recent history. It used to hit something like 50-60%, which is basically the same as the general election, um, or f- election for the president. Um, but actually, no, sorry, Wikipedia is saying here... Well, it's usually a lot turnout, lower than that. It's usually, it's usually, the last fifty, the last half century is about 40%. Yeah, it's usually way, way below 50%. But this, have, they, have they got numbers out yet for what the turnout was? Um, I have read that it was 114 million people voted out of potentially 210. So it was over well, half. Yeah, well over half. Yeah, so that, um, that's a big turnout for midterm. That's the thirty. That's a third higher than the previous midterm. Right. Um, yeah, but just talking about disingenuousness, that, that disingenuousness and fecklessness amongst the uh, amongst the voters uh, is is exemplified by this fi- the firing of sessions. Of course, since uh, the Republicans increased their majority <clears throat> in the Senate, and the Senate allows the president or the Republicans to or the president specifically to be sure that he can appoint. Uh, uh, Justice Department officials, judges, and all that kind of stuff, uh, and also to fire executive branch nominees. You know, you can do that because it's only the Senate has to approve or, you know, yeah. we'll, have the, we'll have the final say on that. Uh, so and more besides, right? But yeah. so, so you went straight for sessions, right? All right. Now, oh now, yeah. Now they've got the Senate majority, uh, Senate increased Senate majority. He was happy just to immediately, pretty much fire sessions. But you know, and sessions was like the the uh, whipping boy of the uh, of the Democrat Party. For the past two years, I mean, they hated him because of his his stance on, um, on on immigrants and all that kind of stuff. You know, he was he was seen as a real right winger, real kind of fascist, Nazi, you know, anti-immigrant kind of person. But to throw up that um, article, Scotty, on uh, sessions. Um, yeah, not not that one. Yeah. So that's just a headline on RT.com. Resistance is suddenly okay with Sessions, the family separation advocate, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, I mean, the one thing that they've been screaming about, you know, immigrants and separation of families, that was what Sessions was for. But now, because Trump uh, booted him um, out, he becomes immediately, to some extent, a darling of the lefties who hated him for the past two years. So, uh, you know, they're, they're... and, and a bunch of them, Democrats and ordinary people, ordinary Democratic activists and stuff, were all, um, I mean, if you scroll down, <laughs> there's an image there, on, uh, right down towards the bottom, I think. Uh, it's all about the Mueller probe, because they think that Sessions uh, getting booted out as the Attorney General will 
will will diminish the effectiveness of the Mueller probe. But there's a there's this Democratic supporter woman saying, "I can't believe I have to march in favor of Jeff, Jeff Sessions because the media just told me to do it." Yeah. But all right, if you say so, because orange, <laughs> orange man bad, you know. So these are very obviously very unthinking people. I mean, I'm not going to single that. I obviously can't single that woman out or anybody. But she's no, she's articulating what the rest of them are probably right thinking or talking about right. as they're there on the street. But the, but the point she's making is that whatever it takes anti-Trump. So yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. Whatever it's it not, is. A, it's not yeah. about policy. It's just we now hate Trump for being Trump just because of who he is and whatever it takes he has to, has to go, you know. And that's what the vast majority of people are, are like. It's, that's why there's this meme, this kind of like uh, NPC meme, you know, um, uh, making fun of the lefties and, and, and Democrats, you know, like orange man bad. That's right. all. Basically, because that's what they're holding. Well, that's what it is. That's that. where it begins and it ends. Yeah. Orange man bad. That's all. Yeah. Why? Just because because I've been had it drilled into my head for the past two years and, and I've been hystericized by the media, mm -hmm. mainly, uh, that orange man is bad. That's all I know at this point. There, I don't, I've lost track of why he's bad. Their, their ignorance about this is, is um, it's multi-layered. It's ironic because Sessions has just been fired like within hours of basically the results coming out. That's obviously, Trump has basically announced months ago he wanted, he's spoken bad of Sessions for a long time in interviews is obviously he was going to do it and he chooses right after the election to do it obviously so that it wouldn't color republicans chances beforehand show of unity and all that boom the results come in you're fired and they're screaming oh god that means that the one protection we had what he's doing he's going for the Mueller investigation mm. he's going for the juggler he's trying to get the justice department uh, and he wants a new AG in right. there to protect him against. Well, well, yes, that's definitely Trump's motivation for right. doing so to get rid of the Mueller probe. Because, but, because but what's, then the how, probe? what's the Mueller probe about? How is Mueller probe about Russian collusion? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's the one means to, of holding a stick over Trump for eventual possible impeachment. Never happened, but it's it's all in their narrative, right? In the but it, yeah, but Sessions is the guy that actually, as soon as he was nominated AG, recused himself from anything to do with Russiagate right. because he had campaigned on Trump's behalf while he was uh, running mm -hmm. for office in 2016. Mm -hmm. So Sessions was actually their guy by doing that from the outset. He, he was not a Trump ally. He gave free reign to the Mueller probe, basically. Exactly. He wasn't going to stand in the way of it. So he, but the Mueller probe, where is the Mueller probe? It's nowhere. It's, 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 based, it's based on, people seem to forget, Mueller probe, it's, it's the same as Orange Man Bad. Mueller probe is now just like, get Trump probe. Get him on what? Don't know. Mueller's like this guy who's out to get Trump, and I want to get Trump and remove him by any means possible. And Mueller is like, you know, Mueller's like the guy who's going to get Trump. For what? I don't know. Just all I know is that Mueller's the, the guy, because Russia, because Russia, and they completely forget about the fact that the, the, the Russia collusion business has been completely discredited and dismissed as absolute nonsense. Yeah. And they still want Mueller to do what? There is nothing. Oh, well, we they, go back to a few years. The party leadership said it. They want the, now we're going to get Trump's tax returns. Right, tax returns, whatever. whatever. And, and there's, and there's be nothing in his tax, tax returns. This is just perpetuating a, a load of nonsense that'll produce nothing except a load of sound and fury for four years. And, yeah. and they'll be happy about it because they're idiots, you know? I so said, go back to two, a couple of years or a year and a half ago, CNN producer coming out and saying, yeah, remember that term? The, the Russian investigation thing is a what? Big? Nothing burger. Nothing burger. A year and a half ago, or more, as soon as it came out. It's a nothing burger. There is nothing there, they said. And, but CNN hasn't shut up about it for the past two years. After the, knowing, admitting that it's a nothing burger, 
they harp on about it. How can you, how can you, how can you have any respect for people to do that? And like talking about CNN, Jim Acosta. But he was actually shut up. He was, sh- he was told to shut up, but In he had sense. to be told to shut up at the press conference after the, after the midterm elections. Trump had to tell him to shut up about the moral because that's the first thing he went for. And, and that's been an discredited. The, that's an attack on the press. Uh, of course you attack the press when they talk a load of shit. Yeah. When they make up patently false allegations and put them out there as a very important question, prefacing as, as he did with, I want to challenge you, Mr. President, on the Russia thing. Fucking what reality do you live in, you asshole? Get out of here. I mean, boot him out. And yeah, boot him out. He's an idiot. He's, he's wasting time, wasting people's time. And, and it's clearly part of the campaign to hystericize people in America and to divide people, mm-hmm. to create divisions in society. The thing that they accuse Trump of doing. When yeah. you have CNN and Jim, people like Jim Acosta doing exactly that in front of everybody, in front of the world's cameras. Yeah. It's clear that he's the one who's doing it and CNN wants you doing it. And in the same breath, they turn around and accuse Trump. And in fact, that's what he was doing. I think when, when, when Trump told CNN, uh, Jim Acosta to shut up and said he was a horrible, terrible person and then went to the next guy, the other guy, another guy not from CNN, but, so, you know, defended Acosta and proceeded to ask a question about or, or challenge or, or, or accuse Trump of dividing America. That was, that was pure gold right there. Mm-hmm. She had one CNN reporter clearly engaging in divisive, divisiveness in terms of pursuing a line of questioning that was divisive for the American people in and general. And not based in fact. And when, right, and when... Yeah, exactly. And when Trump told him to shut up, the other guy comes on, defends him, and accuses Trump of doing what Jim Acosta had just done. Yeah. That's how ridiculous it is. And it's there. There's no question about it. That's not my analysis of it. It's obviously that's what was actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, in a a beautiful setting, because it's, you know, a microcosm of the, what's going on at the media level, at the level of information nationwide, what took place in that room in the East Wing of the White House. If the two guys, not necessarily, I mean, there was nothing planned about it probably from their perspective. One naturally defends Acosta right after, right. takes the same line of questioning because they both have the same uh, worldview. They're both ideologues or they're both uh, saturated with a certain mindset. Right. And they firmly believe like that what they're doing is right. And they're, they're, they cannot see, you, you're literally looking at people and how human beings when they have so much information available to them, accurate information, they cannot see and they continue and they drive. There's nothing to stop them. The only thing that stops them is, again, in that microcosm, what, ironically, what CNN and the rest of them are harping on about nonstop for two years now is freedom of the press and attacking the press. Right. The only thing that stops them is to physically shut them up and take right. off, right. take away their press yeah. passes. Well, I mean, there's this, uh, this idea that's been around for a long time of, uh, it, you know, the world is so complex and we only see, uh, you know, maybe 1% or I don't know what figure they give. It's obviously a made-up figure anyway, but it's a very small percentage of the actual information available around us, you know, in terms of the, the empty space and stuff. It's made of, you know, molecules and atoms and all that kind of stuff, you know, that we only actually, our eyes only perceive, like, say, 1% or 10% or whatever it is mm-hmm. of the actual information in the world around us. Well, it's got so bad today that a lot of people only see about 1% or 10% of the information that we can actually see, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, people have blind spots and uh, massive blind spots and it just gets worse. And what, where they start to just, dis, you know, they, they block out, you know, they just dismiss. Yeah. 
it's almost like they don't actually see it. And of course, when that happens, there's a fine line between saying that, explaining it in terms of uh, people's ideologies and their beliefs and all that kind of stuff and how they just you know reject information that doesn't agree with what they believe. Uh, there's a fine line between that and saying that that's the reason why that's happening or positing some kind of a conscious conspiracy theory that the person is consciously doing this. You know, mm -hmm. now for most people, I don't think that's the case that they're constantly doing it because people, human beings, are fundamentally just, uh, you know, they're they're mi very mixed bag. They're they're not very objective, not very um, perspicacious, let's say, as a general rule. Um, but I'd say that that that's where that leads into that idea of a conspiracy, a conscious conspiracy, and someone deliberately distorting information, knowing that they're doing it. Uh, that's been around for a long time, and you can understand why people go there. But I would say that the majority of people aren't doing it consciously, but it's possible always that there is someone higher up, if you want to use that term, or somewhere else with more, more understanding, more awareness, who is doing that kind of thing consciously and leading other people into a, into a trap in a certain sense, mm -hmm. or leading other people into, into false beliefs. And they, for, for their own, for their own they own periodically make themselves interest. known. Um, Again, it's not clear, but it, it can be sort of seen in relief. So the obvious incident in the United States would have been when Trump was president-elect and the intelligence community, in quotes, spoke up. You didn't see them. Well, you saw some of, some of the reps, maybe like Clapper and former yeah. heads of John CIA Brown. or DSDI. But on the most part, they're anonymous. Right. Speakers from the and one voice or uniform, they were right. 17 agencies, then they became four, whatever. They drop in the insinuation that becomes propagated nonstop across all the media mm -hmm. that Trump is a traitor because of Russian collusion yeah. and all this stuff. No, and that's when you get a periodic, uh, pretty solid evidence. It's still abstract and it's still not 100% clear, but it's pretty solid that there's a conscious conspiracy because those people knew we've had plenty of. Um, analysis of what information they have made available, what's been discovered through FOIA requests, that they knew they had no evidence to make the claims, which mm -hmm. is why they couched it in terms of, well, we're not saying that he is a Russian agent, but this is something Russia would do, try to interfere in our elections, try to cause doubt and division within our society, etc. Et mm -hmm. So you, you do get uh, evidence of it being consciously directed. And yeah. these, these people have clout, whoever they are. It's, it's what's part of what's weird about it. In other times, in other societies, when people kind of act and speak things that they think the leader wants to hear, it's more clear cut. So they're following a leader. A, a historical example everyone knows about, obviously, is Hitler or Stalin. It, people will say what they think is what is supposed to be said in, in the united states it's a bit strange you know in, in our time it's more like the nameless and faceless voices that everyone's views um and the way they shape what they say and what they believe they're they're, they're trying to match they're trying to speak to the fuhrer but the fuhrer is not a person and it's kind of invisible it's mm. it's very odd what is this it's a strange streak of authoritarianism because there is no actual cult of personality that there. It's an it's much more abstract, mm -hmm. like the gods, in quotes, of the intelligence community. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, they're elevated to a godlike status basically because they're in the shadows and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, um, I mean, you go back; it's over a year ago now. 
this is a video here um inside you with this this is a this yeah, is um the latest there for a statement latest tweets as you were just saying president-elect related yeah this is rachel maddow and chuck schumer this is january 2017 uh and just talking about the intelligence agencies just go ahead and play it there and you'll you'll hear what what, what, what the point is latest yeah. unsolicited pronouncement on the intelligence community this was his tweet just a little while ago tonight you see the scare quotes there the yeah. intelligence briefing yeah. on so-called russian hacking was delayed until friday perhaps more time needed to build a case very strange we're actually told intelligence sources tell nbc news since this tweet has been posted that actually this intelligence briefing for the president-elect was always planned for friday it hasn't been delayed but he's he's taking these shot this antagonism yeah. is taunting to the intelligence you, community you take on the intelligence community they have six ways from sunday of getting back at you pause there so even for there you go Chuck con, Schumer said con, conscious conspiracy there you go right there's, there. there's two uh two years ago almost january 2017 so uh well trump wasn't even inaugurated yet right he correct this is while his president <laughs> Uh, uh, and it was about the leaks about Russia collusion and stuff, and then yeah. led up to the Steele dossier, and all it was ready in and the Trump, air around that time. And, and Trump didn't want to turn up for their briefings. He maybe went to a couple, and he's right. like, I, "I know this is a line of bullshit," because mm. you know he just speaks to, speaks his mind. He has since adapted. Mm. He's a lot more cautious about yeah. when he challenges them and how right. and blah blah blah. And he he prefers to pick out. I think that's I've written about this. I think that's why um, he settled on firing back at them engaging in the battle with them at the level of media because after that he had his first press conference after the inauguration and that's when he had his first blow up with jim acosta and went you're seeing it you are fake news and then began trump versus the press right. but i think he was taking he a back seat from going trump versus the intelligence because, community is too hot because so he, understood, he understood the intelligence community was getting back at him seven ways from sunday via the media exactly i.e they have control over the media or the, the intelligence community in this situation or certain aspects of them are out to get trump and so is the media and they're, and they're tag teaming him basically uh so he, he he decides not to do them not to respond to them directly but uh i mean you know before trump is is inaugurated you know Ch chuck schumer makes it clear uh he wasn't the only one to make no, threats on, yeah. on on air yeah there's seven ways from sunday getting back back at you and so what has happened in the last two years well that's the, that's those seven ways from sunday that the intelligence community has been getting back at Trump. For what reason? So then you have to have to then investigate what reasons, what, what motivations, what ideology drives the US intelligence community, i.e. the CIA. What is their historical remit? You know, and that gets us into nationalism versus globalism. Because the CIA has been an agent of globalism since its creation. It has been on the front line, pushing American exceptionalism and globalism, i.e. the spread of American influence around the world, ultimately an at the expense of the American people. Using an expanded definition of what the U.S. national interest is. Right. And just to show you how this problem of nationalism versus globalism and, uh, has spread across the water and how nationalism, as everybody knows now, everybody knows, quote-unquote, that nationalism is a bad word and it's associated, associated with Nazis, and white supremacists, right? That's what nationalism is about, right? You know that now, right, as well? Yeah. You know that for sure, right? <laughs> Why? Well, you know it because that's what you've been told. Right, okay, everyone, everyone knows. Everyone knows that. Go to the BBC uh, front page today. 
front page say, oh, look at that lovely man on the front page. It's Emmanuel Macron. And a big headline saying, Macron rejects nationalism on Armistice Day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just click on that uh, link, yeah. And we'll just go down a little bit. Where Trump's, or sorry, Macron says, don't play the video. Well, whatever. Addressing leaders in Paris. Yes, including U.S. President Donald Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin, Macron described nationalism as a betrayal of patriotism. He says, by saying our interests first and never mind the others, you stamp out the most precious thing a nation has, its moral values. So, uh, and then further down, it's, yeah, yeah, little, it says running, hang on, keep going down to the bottom. Um, oh, well, I've lost it. Anyway, that's more or less what he said. Can expand it ever so slightly on it, but not really, not really, not well, really that, very much. That's, um, that's the whole can of worms that we're living with these days. What moral values? Which values? Well, he said, actually, there's, there's how he expanded. Ruining this hope with a fascination for withdrawal, violence, or domination would be a mistake for which future generations would rightly find us responsible. Um, I'm sorry, that was, he was talking about fight for peace there. No, basically, that's all he said. By saying our interests first and never mind the others, you stamp out the most precious thing a nation has, its moral values. So how, do, how is moral values associated with... Uh, Well, this is the centenary of, of, of World War One, Right. And as everyone knows, in quotes, World War One was because nations fought against each other right. for hegemony, mm -hmm. for coming out top. Right. Therefore, nations, nationalism is bad because it creates World War Ones and right. Twos. And possibly threes. Right. That's what he's trying to say. No, it doesn't, though. The big things he's leaving out, which really, uh, it's, only, it's taken 100 years, actually, for this, for this basic truth about World War I to come out, is that the nations, the specific nations central to that war, and which came out on top after it, are the ones that created globalism. Mm-hmm. So when you're on his side, globalism, you're on the side of the specific nations. Right. Who want to dominate the world. That want to dominate the world then and now. Right. So nationalism is bad. Macron's correct. French specifically, British specifically, and American specifically, as they're used as the globalist engine. But nationalism isn't, is a dirty word. It's the opposite of globalism today. Today. Right. As under Trump. So Trump has redefined our defined it as it was originally meant, the idea of or, or, or the dictionary definition of nationalism, which is, as Macron just said, um, our interests first. Yeah. And he, he throws in never mind the others. <clears throat> but that's kind of like a, that's like a bit of a, 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 a dig, you know. But our interests first is what all of these people are involved in. Macron's trying to say that he doesn't 
think in terms of our interests first. Of course he does. Mm -hmm. But he just wants a group of people <clears throat> in different countries to get together to dominate the world. And so in this context, in that context, coming, going back to nationalism where you separate countries and each country looks after its own, you're actually working against globalism and against the domination of other people or as much of the world as possible. So it's, I mean, the problem is that they're messing with the, the definitions of words, mm -hmm. right? Which is a postmodernist kind of thing, right? They like to mess with the definition, the original definition of words and, and to confuse it to the point that people don't understand it anymore. Um, but nationalism in the current uh, global climate is, is obviously a good thing in its original definition. And it's not a bad word. It never was a bad word until it uh, was made that way by uh, over the past two years, really, over the past, and maybe since before that with, with Russia. Russia got accused of being nationalist and therefore since Russia is bad, nationalism is bad. But they're just selectively using these words to demonize people in their, for their own interest. And their own interest is to, it's to dominate as much of the world as possible. So they, they want to make nationalism a dirty word and use it against Russia because Russia is strengthening itself and can stand in opposition to the globalists. And by globalism, I mean the almost literal definition of that word, which is like spreading your influences around as much of the world as possible and, and controlling it and dominating, dominating it at the expense, invariably, of, of other people in the world. So for Trump to kind of pull back from that or to have any intention of pulling back from that can only be a good thing, especially in the context of what you know, of, of the era that we're in now, which is an era of uh, the global war on terror, mm -hmm. waged by Western interests, and look what it's done. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's that global war on terror and the insecurity that that global war on terror and the terror attacks that have resulted and the refugees that have resulted, uh, it's, it's those effects that have given rise to nationalist sentiment in many countries. Because when people feel that insecurity in society, like things are breaking down, they tend to kind of close ranks. And, they, and when they close ranks, they look to their kind of in-group, and that's based on, you know, it can be based on religion or, or, or uh, ethnicity or just cultural values, basically. They kind of close, they try to find their own to feel secure and safe as a, as a, as a response mm -hmm. to this pervasive sense of insecurity in society. And it's interesting that this happened at the same time as you had the destruction of religion. You know, which also meant that people who, I mean, the, the destruction of religion, of Christianity, of Catholicism, particularly in Catholic countries in the world because of the child abuse thing in the Catholic Church and stuff, uh, has led, has increased that sense of insecurity among people because uh, on hard, in hard times or difficult times or scary times, people look to religion for a sense of security. So not only, so it's a really, I mean, it's not surprising that people are feeling this way and that you have this rise in na of nationalism and it's not something... Uh, to be condemned, but it is condemned because people pull in, the people who want to condemn it, the globalists, let's say, who want to condemn it, pull in the far-right sentiments, the extreme fringe nationalistic sentiments, which mm -hmm. is xenophobic and you know racist and all that kind of stuff. But the vast majority of people who express nationalistic sentiments are not that, they're not racist or, or xenophobic or, or, or any of those things. They're not, ra they're not extremists. They're simply people who are reacting to the current prevailing climate in society in Western countries that has been produced by the people who want to stop them from being nationalist, who want to, to squash out nationalist sentiment in favor of globalism. But it's a globalism that has created this sense of insecurity in the first place. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. So it's a setup. Uh, just trying to understand, uh, if I can, how Macron believes this, though. He'll agree with you and then say, yes, but from that insecurity stems, it, it goes too far. And history has shown us that it goes too far and it spills over and then there's war. It goes outside of the borders and there's wars. And that that's his understanding of the history of World War One. That's, that's too easy and, and, and too simple. It's oversimplified. I mean, how, how long are we going to use Nazi Germany as the benchmark for how uh, nationalism or national movements or whatever occur? Is, I mean, is the only time in history that nationalism kind of took hold in a country, a nationalistic uh, sentiment took hold in a country, is the only time that happened in Nazi Germany? No, of course not. Well, so, so, so why is that the benchmark for any time it, should, it, it would ever happen now, today, or again? It's, it's ridiculous. To, and, and we live in such a totally different age. I mean, how many people were, were alive in, 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 19, in the 1930s, you know, in, in, in the world? There's probably like two billion people. Now we have four times that population. We have a radically different world. We have a globalized world. We have mass communication. We have the internet. I mean, there's, it's so radically different that to, 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 to reach back into, into history 80 years ago and pull out the example of Nazi Germany and use it all the time as this is what's going to happen, it's just, it's, it's beyond idiotic, you know? Um, so I would kind of dismiss that argument. I mean, I dismiss the Nazi Germany. Of course, we should dismiss the Nazi Germany argument because people are being called Nazis today all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when it doesn't apply to them at all. If, if, I, if I don't like what someone else thinks, then they're a Nazi, right? Uh, yeah. Um, it's a real mess, you know. And it's not obvious what the solution is, except to try and make some sense of it. When you've got a mess, you don't just, you don't just double down on it and, uh, you know, run with, the, <clears throat> run with the latest catchphrase, you know. Uh, and get out in the street and protest about something, anything type thing. You stop, you take stock, and you say, you know, things are a bit hysterical right now. Things have seemed to have gone a bit crazy. Maybe we all shouldn't be out in the streets, so we shouldn't be encouraging people to get out in the streets and start shouting about this or that or the other. You know what I mean? But <sighs> I think it's interesting that World War One was a profoundly um, changing event. Because it kind of it kind of created the modern era, mm-hmm. modern and then also postmodern, and that now a hundred years later, on the anniversary, right in the middle of all this other stuff that's going on, it kind of brackets the the end of the period. It's, we're not quite out of it yet, but it's the war and then this hundredth anniversary of it. It's kind of a discrete period in history mm. because it radically changed the world then. And now we're seeing it happening again. And Macron and the others are trying to use that event then to to maintain, to uphold the moral virtues of the world they created, they believe. And, and beyond that, then structurally, the system and how it is. And they don't want anyone to change it. Obviously, that's a pointed right. reference to Putin and to Trump. Um, They're trying to use the events of history ostensibly as an example or a reason why we need to continue on the way yes. we're going. Yeah. But the problem is that the way they are going is going to cause a re- repeat in the history that they're using. Possibly, yeah. 
to to it possibly going to create or it's like it, it, there's a good chance that it's going to create some something similar to the kind of chaos that he's holding up as an example of why we shouldn't cha- why we shouldn't change anything or we should stop stamp out these these kind of nationalistic sentiments mm-hmm. it means completely inverted it's 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 so conversive that it's the, the, there are there are incredible um, parallels that can be drawn but they're not the one macron's making the very simple general observation to make is that world war 1 was a european war primarily on the right. western front primarily on the border of france and belgium primarily between western europeans right there were skirmishes and battles russia got involved for a while. Russia got involved. That's a fascinating story in itself. That completely destroyed that country because it gave rise to the Bolshevik Revolution, right. a bloody civil war. Which may have been one of the goals. Hard to say. I've read, I've read a few histories right. on it. And there were amazing things that came together. Um, it's a fascinating story. But anyway, the net, the net effect was Russia was knocked completely, well, completely. Like, and whole parts of the Russian Empire lopped off. Devastating revolution, devastating civil war. Well, it's separate, and it separated the world then. That was the beginning in 1970, the Bolshevik Revolution, and, and, and yes, Soviet separated Russia. separated along these grand ideological terms. Right, right. Um, that are coming, are coming back to haunt us now. Yeah. But uh, I want to finish my center point. It was a Western European war. There was, there was a big war in Turkey because a big motivation for the, why the war took place was can be read and seen in the subsequent history. What became the part of the world that everyone has fought over in the hundred years since the Middle East? Right. What had been the status quo prior to World War One, four hundred some years of the Ottoman Empire? It had its good moments, its bad moments, its ups and its downs. But as a general point, it was basically a stable unit, and that was breaking down. And there was a scrap in Europe to take advantage of it. Uh, Germany wanted to build a railroad the Berlin to Baghdad railway, right. and they were in the process of doing so. Oil was coming online, the importance of oil. A pile of it obviously was discovered in the Middle East. The British were like, no, 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 no. We're going to control that. So it was a big, that was a big, big, it was a big, big spat between Western European powers. That's the basic point. Mm-hmm. A world war. Now, World War II was more of a world war. There's an Asian war going on there too. Japan, not a Western European country, but ironically, one that had been trying its hardest to become one, mm-hmm. totally aping the European system right. um, for about 100 years before that. Uh, so, in the, okay, World War II was, was global, but it, the, the causes of it are obviously all to be found substantially in the fact that there was a European war in the first place. Anyway, so bringing that back to the, in the broader sense, the parallel with today is that where is they're likely to be, the kind of horror that Macron's talking about, where is it likely to happen? Should it happen and manifest in a similar way of chaos and, and possibly armed conflict? Europe, mm-hmm. obviously, with the mass migration, uh, mass immigration, the social chaos. Um, the left-right left, divide. Left-right right divide, the all the, the different right. cleavages. It's going to happen in Europe again. And mm-hmm. Macron, I think, I'm going to assume he's sincere in his, 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 his ignorance of the role people like him, people of like mind like him, play mm. in bringing about the very thing they're warning must not change in the world, lest that situation come about. Right. And he's an active agent of it. Right. Unknowingly, he's a tool. I, I'm going to assume. He's a complete tool. Yeah. 
Uh, He's holding know. a Paris Peace Forum where they're all talking this afternoon, some of them anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, how weird is that? Again, it's not really quite the same parallel, but there can be some made. Where did the great big post-war summits take place after yeah. Ver- Versailles? Mm-hmm. And Versailles was like, every, every, everyone knows, it is you know fairly accepted that Versailles was... Um, extremely unfair it certainly surprised the germans they they agreed to an armistice on this day 100 years ago because they thought they were getting from the back channel communications they had they thought they were getting a much better deal than they were completely shafted um by versailles um and that obviously laid the groundwork for world war ii and, and redressing grievances right and the the horse trading that went on at this conference you would not believe it it was the first time the 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 political and the, the the level of discourse had had already changed, so they they were no longer this this would be outside of the nineteenth century now we've moved beyond that they were no longer the Europeans primarily but then the Americans too and they started going imperial they were no longer talking in explicitly imperial terms they used to be totally frank about well we're going in there to take the stuff and because those savages don't know how to rule themselves we're going to give them the benefits of civilization that's how they openly on the media reported mm. and that was everyone knew that I was mm. at least I was honest but then they said oh well all that's changing what motivates us now is the rights of small nations to determine their own destiny Demo- and we're going to give the world democracy mm-hmm. so that they may be free. Mm-hmm. So they they developed a new discourse, but they behaved precisely the same. And the horse trading that went on, you take this country, you know, you'll have that one. They were exchanging. Obviously, Germany, which had had colonies in the Indi, in Indonesia, Africa, and elsewhere, they were carved up. Mm-hmm. And France, primarily France and um, Britain, that's what Versailles was about, carving up Germany's colonies. We'll take that. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was one of Hitler's beefs uh, in the 1930s. He was trying to negotiate with them and saying, um, can we be compensated in some way or have some of our colonies back? Because we see you guys, you're, you're talking all this talk about people's rights to self-determination, but we can see that your behavior is precisely the same as it was before. Mm-hmm. So wink, wink, nod, nod can you compensate us? Because we need, as we see it, we need resources, land, people. And that's where Hitler developed his whole right. Lebensraum thing. Well, if we can't get the colonies like we're entitled to because we're part of the Western European global club, well, then we're going to just take it from around us right. and spread it into the East. Right. That's where that idea came from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, that's what a lot of it comes down to. The, the gap or lag between what I'm saying I'm doing and what I'm actually doing. Mm-hmm. And it's a fundamental lack of ethics, morality, that this tosser it talks about here has the gall to talk about, which is just AWOL in the West. Mm-hmm. It's not completely AWOL. It, it, it's, it is present, and it's the, the powers that be, the, the established ideologues feel the pressure of, that's why they hate nationalists, because nationalists tend to be riding to success because the people are so sick of it, they are actually looking closely and trying to gauge, is this candidate actually sincere? Is he going to say what he means, he says? Is, is his words going to match his actions? And that's what's going on in elections all across the world right now. They're trying to gauge who is sincere and who isn't, mm-hmm. which is great. And that's also what's terrifying, these ideologues who are so accustomed to lying through their teeth 
mm-hmm. and doing the opposite. Right. And it's this profound lack of ethics in the West that maybe will change. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll log up in flames before that can happen. Again, for the third time in some horrible conflagration. But it's, it's, it's the kind of black hole at the center of all of this. It, the thing that Macron is putting up on a pedestal today, moral values. Mm-hmm. Where are they? Right. That's what people in the West are clamoring out for. Can you please get, just bring some into this? That's why there's a cultural war going right. on, a then, war of values. But then what do you define as moral, moral values? What, what's morality, you know? Um, there is a difference among the average, differences among the average, average person in the street. What's, what, what moral values should be, should be prioritized, let's say. You know, uh, and that gets back to that book that we keep referring to uh, mm. uh, by Jonathan Hyde about the kind of moral, the taste buds and the foundations and stuff that people base their their morality or the, the world view on. You know, and people, I mean, there's no explanation to it other than it's inborn, mm-hmm. really, uh, into different types of people that uh, some of them value authority and loyalty and sanctity. Uh, that would be conservatives, along with the other ones of care and. Um, can't remember the other ones, but the primarily the other type, the lefties, people tend to be lefties, um, value the care foundation much more. So they're yeah. anti-oppression and, and caring for other people and they value justice much more than uh, and they're far more authority open. and uh, sanctity. They're open. They're openness. They're, they're trade, open, openness open, to, open to experience and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ideas, which which goes with which is understandable based on those on those foundations, you know. If, if you, and, if and which you, is if necessary you, if you value authority, if you value authority and sanctity, they're fairly permanent things, you know. Uh, you don't want to go changing them, you know. You you won't open yourself. Let, let's experiment with having no authority and no sanctity, for example, you know. But lefties would tend to experiment. Yeah, but why do we need government? Why do we need religion? Yeah. Why do we need an idea of of, of the transcendent? You know. But um, I think we were talking about earlier on that, you know, the the fact that, you know, one of the one of the things that, or I, I mentioned earlier on, and we were talking about it previously, <clears throat> about how um, the the doing away of, for example, the Catholic Church, uh, or the the destruction, let's say, of the Catholic Church to a large extent, people not going, people not practicing anymore, and the general movement away in the West from from religion, um, has left. A, a fairly large vacuum in people's lives, and even the people who reject it, who say I'm never going to never going to mass again, I, you know, religion is terrible, religion is evil. Um, those people have as much a need, it seems, for some form of um, kind of uh, some some sense of a transcendent morality to guide them, to guide them in their lives, as as the people who adhere to religion, you know. But what has moved in in the place of the destruction of the Catholic Church, let's say, in many European countries, are the you know the, the massive uh, decrease in, in attendance rates and the, and the general um, uh, movement away from religions in the West. Uh, that has been replaced by a new secular morality. Um, but of course, that's maybe that's another for, a discussion for another day as to how whether or not secular morality can actually fill the place. Of a transcendent morality, certainly if you look at the kind of secular secular morality, basically is based on that on that care foundation. It's like let's take care of everybody, let's be nice to everybody, let's uh, remove suffering as much as possible from life. You know that's what supposedly you know, God is meant to take care of you. You know in life and stuff. You know, 
uh, but the new modern uh, secular morality kind of goes beyond traditional religious morality because traditional religious morality always had an idea of suck it up cupcake life's not a walk in the park mm-hmm. uh, I never promised you a rose garden type thing mm-hmm. you're going to have to and in fact there's some suggestion in many religions that suffering is actually very useful but the new, mo- the new modern secular morality has come in to replace the doing away of, of Christianity for, for, for many people uh, advocates for the complete removal yeah. of, of all suffering yeah uh, because suffering is evil, even though they don't believe in the existence of evil. Well, but the well they call it whatever they want. They just say that we don't have, we shouldn't have to live in a world where there is any suffering. No person should be. Off- I mean, of course, you take it to these extremes of trigger warnings, and no one should ever be offended. It's a logical end result. If you if you if you canvass all the people in a secular in a new secular morality, um, and ask them, and you have to cater to all of their whims, right down to the minutia. And you have to cater to everybody's sensitivities. And ultimately, you would have to legislate for all of those sensitivities. Go around the population and ask every single person, what offends you? And write, write it down and then pass laws that outlaw uh, <laughs> or criminalize uh, those offensive acts or words. Um, and that, I mean, we're pretty far along that that pathway actually it's, it's moved extremely rapidly you know in, in that direction mm-hmm. I mean we, we were talking previous shows about you know about the police you know going after uh, offensive posts on Twitter rather than uh, trying to catch uh, yeah. burgl- bur- it's, it's, burglars and stuff it's, you know it's crazy if you're anything slightly to the right and beyond of the far left at least in the in, in the sense of the, the postmodern the, the kind of left we have today you know there are different kinds of lefts, I think. But right. if you're slightly to their right, you're like, you're a fascist. Yeah. I mean, that's... that's but that's extremism. And you get insulted. And no, there, there are, no an it's, further, it's further along than that. There are real world consequences. I mean, there not many people are going to jail yet, but that's coming, possibly. Yeah. As it is, though, a lot of people are losing their livelihoods. Right. But that's totalitarianism. Jobs. Yeah. I mean, when the state legislates uh, to that extent... Uh, or or criminalizes, you know, essentially thought crime, or speech hate speech, speech crime. You know, this person said something and it offended me. He should be fined. You know, he's he's being prosecuted for saying something that offended me. I mean, that's totalitarianism. That when when the state reaches that far into per, people's ordinary lives, where you know, in, in the schoolyard, you know, where he's where, where some guy calls you, some guy in the schoolyard calls you a name. You know, instead of just calling him a name back or even getting into a fight or something. No, the state has to intervene before any of that happens. As soon as the offensive word is uttered, call the police. Yeah. Uh, that's totalitarianism. That's the classic kind of almost archetypal uh, definition of totalitarianism. There are new other ones, though, that are definitely new. Like, it's, it's barely, it's, 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 com- it's coming online in the public discourse now, but it's been going on for decades. And that's what's been taking place um, in apparently totally apolitical environments, like family courts, when it comes to men, the father's right to see the child. Um, we, yeah. kn- we know about how bad it is in the United States mm-hmm. of late because there's been some activism to highlight the issue and then some very important books written. MRAs, men's but rights. I'm, I'm currently reading a book by an Irish uh, former journalist, intellectual called John Waters, and he's written about it extensively. He was writing about it extensively in the 1990s, how bad this... It was, he, he couldn't believe it. Um, so it's been a long time coming, really. 
yeah, a long time coming. Like the the appalling lack of um any kind of oversight here. In a way, it's bizarre. It's almost like the state, rather than the state um enforcing odds and strange new cultural values and norms, they took a totally hands off a few, but uh, hands off approach. But the ideology was coming in through um family family courts uh not even the judges adjudicating in the cases but through clerks who would just in the absence of a judge just formally stamp and make a decision and they were making up the laws as they went along right it's unbelievable it's been going on for decades mm-hmm. and this is this is how it's crept up on us it's 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 coming in through everywhere it's not just that there's a, a powerful source at the top of the state dictating things all the way down through the, the the perniciousness of this modern totalitarianism is that it's it's seeping out from the freaking walls and up from yeah. the ground well when you said the clerks making decisions in courts you know on on family family court cases uh, and child you know visitation rights and stuff i just the idea of eichmann came into my head there you know as a adolf eichmann yeah as the um the banality of evil yeah well well the way that those mid-level or even low-level functionaries were given power, that kind of power, and they really used it, and they really, yeah. ex- really exploited it, you know. Hey, don't look at me. I was just in charge of the train right. timetables. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but what were they for? <laughs> right. But, the, I mean, the argument against that, uh, actually, obviously, it's something that Jordan Peterson has talked about a lot, and the argument against, uh, the argument for legislating against kind of offensive words and, and people's speech, you know, hate speech. Obviously, he makes, he's made, repeatedly made the point that you know, you can't do that. Who's going to decide what hate speech is, you know? And, and obviously that goes very quickly towards totalitarianism and stuff. And um, so you can't do that. And of course there are, there is hate speech, but there are laws to stop hate speech. Uh, there's, um, you know, incitement to violence and stuff like that where you, you know, publicly try and get someone beaten up or killed or something like that. You I mean, you'll be prosecuted for that. <clears throat> and there's obviously defamation laws and all that kind of stuff. We can't just say whatever you want. But I, uh, Beyond that, you know, people just speaking bad, you know, being racist, making racist statements and all that kind of stuff. Um, that that exists, obviously. But generally speaking, it's a very small number of people who are extreme in that way. Uh, but then the argument is that, but yes, but people will be pulled into that. You can have a Nazi Germany kind of situation where the Jews are all demonized as animals, you know, that it spreads from an extremist element to the rest of the population. So the problem isn't hate speech in that respect. The problem is the fact that it spreads. Why does it spread to otherwise <clears throat> normal, decent people? Why does that kind of fascist or extremist or totalitarian ideology spread to ordinary people? <clears throat> and, um, well, that's, that's the problem, is that it spreads, not the hate speech itself amongst a very small minority. So you have to find a way to stop it spreading. And... Peterson's uh, approach to that is to mm. the answer to that is to strengthen the individual so that a person is not so easily caught up That's the in that kind of hysteria. Yes, and the antidote o- cannot be administered from the top no, and out. No, it has society. to come. It has to come from the bottom up, and you have to strengthen. Not only do you, you solve that problem by strengthening in, individuals, making them more aware, having discussions, helping people to talk about these kind of things and think in nuanced terms and explore the complexities of it, but and in that way you stop. The, that infection from spreading because people are more capable and more able to say, kind of say, hang on a minute. More that, immune. Right, more immune to it. They're, that, they're able to say that, you know, hang on a minute, that's crazy. You know, that, that doesn't go anywhere good. Um, but also you actually, 
you benefit from strengthening the individual. You have more capable individuals in society. But that's one thing that seems to, that, that, that the powers that be, if you want to call it, or the, the dominant kind of discourse ruling writers. class and discourse writers today don't want to happen. Yeah. Like, and that's why so many people seem to be, so many of those types of people seem to be attacking Jordan Peterson because they don't want anybody <clears throat> to advocate for the strengthening of the individual in society because stronger and stronger individuals in society require, would, would require less interference and control and nannying and mollycoddling from the state. So, of course, it's a, it's a power game, really, basically. You know, politicians want to have control over people because they enjoy controlling people in a kind of, you know, some of them in a sadistic kind of way. They also, they also enjoy killing them in a sadistic way. Jordan Peterson focuses on the level of the individual. Um, there's a kind of a level out from that that uh, is a common approach from traditional, traditionally conservative uh, people on the right which is that the family should be strengthened. That's a big thing in the United States, certainly, mm -hmm. um, at the level of official discourse of, of the Republican Party and so on. But the extent to which it's actually upheld, well... No. But well, families, some, families are under attack, obviously. Um, it's have been for a long time. There's the one, there's one guy, uh, Tucker Carlson, that's his whole thing. This mm. is like the family. Look, can we all just agree on one thing? You know, yeah. but you, you, you can't, can't get actually, people to agree on one on that one thing. No. You can't. But for him, anyway, it's, it's foundational, and his argument is very solid. <clears throat> um, so that's been his, his. His, besides being known now for defending Trump for the last two years, that's been his thing for a while. Anyway, I want to mention because he's been in the news himself. Mm. Um, he his house got surrounded by Antifa last week. Antifa. Antifa. Who the frick's Antifa? They were spraying the... Bunch of nut jobs, like. But no, no less pernicious for because of that, but... Yes. They were... They, they, he was trapped in his house, and apparently his wife and one of his kids was threatened, or they had threatening phone calls. They were shouting outside his house, we know where you live. Well, obviously... No borders, no walls. This is one of the things they were chanting. No borders, no walls, no USA at all. Right. That's a common refrain. Yeah. That's been going on for Tucker Carlson, we will fight. We know where you sleep at night. Well, right. that's obviously a threat. Racist scumbag, leave town. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, hardly anyone looked at this in the mainstream. I mean, he's a pretty high-profile figure in the United States. It was hardly covered, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um... It happened at the same time as Jim Acosta was being fired from the White House press corps. Um, but then later in the week, I think it might have happened yesterday, or I think it might have been yesterday. He Tucker was in a bar in DC or a club with a bar in it, and he mm -hmm. was he someone started hurling insults at him. Uh, a gay Latino man, his name's not been published anywhere, I don't think, started saying, started calling his daughter a whore or something like this, which obviously set Tucker Carlson off. He had a few drinks and then they were like close to getting into fisticuffs right there in, in, in the bar. Someone recorded that on video on their phone or mm -hmm. something, leaked it to this guy Avenanti, who was the lawyer for Stormy Daniels. Daniels. And that's, I think that's not a coincidence. I think with, with having him on board here, I think he's been set up mm -hmm. between the provocations at his house and this, trying to provoke mm -hmm. him into an assault case or Probably. something, that, or a homophobic case. Who right. knows what? They're trying to me to him mm -hmm. to get him fired from Fox. Mm -hmm. 
this is what's amazing about this. this is what the again speaks to the totalitarian nature of this even when there's just one or a few but he's probably the most high, high profile one voice left no pun intended in the mainstream that's in, in toto in substantia stands for everything that they absolutely freaking hate mm. He has to go. Right. They will so not stop all, until there's no all, gone. all, gone. all, all those voices are gone. You only gone. have one message. And he's so reasonable. Tucker Carlson is so reasonable that people of the old left in the last two years are avidly right. listening to him and going, and they, totally, and, totally agree with you. And those people think that those voices should all be drowned out. They should go. They should never appear again. Any, any kind of more conservative or right-wing voices, whatever, um, because they're so convinced that their version of you know, the way the world should work is self-evidently true. I mean, who can argue with the idea that don't oppress people, you know, yeah. do away with suffering. Yeah. Uh, nobody, you know, nobody's offended, you know, it all sounds kind of good until you think about the details and think about life and, and think about your own experience in life. And for example, think about how much you have learned from experiences in which you had to suffer. That is the stuff of human evolu evolution, basically. It's, yeah. it's unfortunately, but that's the way it is. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't kill anybody. It's just difficult. Suffering, hard times in your life is the stuff of human evolution. And it's through which, it's, it's the medium through which uh, human beings learn the most valuable and important lessons in life, which is pretty much the, 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 the main reason for existence, is to learn and grow uh, through, you know, through, through increasing your understanding about about fundamental truths, let's say about life, it's, and you and you get that through suffering, through adversity, and these people want to remove that. They want to. They want remove, to stop learning and growing. Ultimately, that's what they're. That's what. Uh, well, no, they want. They only want to learn and grow through a positive, through positive experiences. But just look at your own life and and tell me if you the only things you ever learned that were valuable were the were through positive experiences. You know, I don't know. Standing top of a hill, looking at a, sun, a beautiful sunset, uh, swimming in an ocean, uh, climbing a mountain—I don't know—on a roller coaster, whatever floats your boat. Did you learn a lot from those? And then con contrast them with the difficult experience that you went through—that that taught you very important things about yourself or about other people in life. And usually, those are the ones that were that were difficult and you suffered in some way. Uh, clearly, through adversity, people grow and learn and evolve. And these people. Through their, through their, uh, well, well, through what they what they're promoting, their mm -hmm. um, their their manifesto, they want to remove. As it's not possible for them to remove that as a thing. And what happens? I don't know. There's some weird mechanism by which, if you push for that too much, as Putin once said, the spring, the elastic comes back. The bang, spring bounces with all, back with all the power of the. Direction you pushed it in comes back, and you end up with well massive suffering. There's to a, teach people a lesson. There's almost, a string of what? events last week, probably not connected in any way with the, the political of what was going on in the United States, but they're they're kind of peripherally connected. There was another mass shooting at the day of the announcement of the results, and therefore the, of the analysis of it and what it means. You know, right. everyone's focused on it, and yet here's another bloody mass shooting. Right. This is the one that took place in... Um, Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks, Northern California. California. 
Um, we have an article. It, it looks like it was just what what, what they reported. One it, guy, vet. Right. Well, look at this guy. The That's the guy right there. Um, and interestingly enough, this is weird. Yeah. If you go drown, he posted to Instagram while he was doing the shooting. And he... That's weird, like, I suppose he wrote, um, the fact is, I had no reason to do it. Hang on, he started off by saying, this is on Instagram. While he was shooting, in the middle, in a break in the shooting or something, it's too, it's too bad I won't get to see all the illogical and pathetic reasons people will put in my mouth as to why I did it. The fact is, I had no reason to do it, and I just thought, expletive. Does that say expletive? Exploitative? It Whatever. Exploitive. Okay. That's the journalism for you these days, folks. And I just thought, life is boring, so why not? That's he's writing that's in a, the past tense about current something he's currently doing. No, he's writing while he's doing the shooting. Yeah, but that's in the past tense. No, he's he's writing that uh, during the shooting. The fact, fact is, is, I had no reason to do it. That's someone who's reflecting on something he's done, not what he's in the middle of doing. Well, or, who uses that tense? Well, anyway, I had no reason. To, he's, he's putting it out there for posterity, basically, because you know oh, I mean? right, okay. he knows he's already started doing it. So, it's but who can fact. think like that when they're dressed head to toe well, in black? And they're they using say it was during control. the shooting, whatever. I suppose they. I mean, they have the timestamps on them and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I haven't looked into the actual timestamps. They have the timestamps of level eleven twenty four p.m. Was that before, after, or in but the middle of the shooting? The shooting whatever. was only ten minutes long. I know. Yeah. So maybe it was just afterwards or something. Okay, you know, before he shot himself. After he shot everybody else, and before he shot himself. Uh, okay, so we're going to put that one in the weird category. He says, you know, but th his point there is very indicative of the kind of mentality of a lot of these people who, like the chant that you just described outside uh, Tucker Carlson's house. No. Uh, no borders, no walls, no USA at no all. No USA at all. How far just, is, just destroy how, it how all. Far, well, how far is that from, I had no reason to do it, I just thought, life is boring, so why not? I thought, you know, put that to, like, you know, I just thought, life is hell, life is crap, I hate, I hate life, so I thought, why not just go and shoot Tucker Carlson's family? How close? But how do you? How, 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 how is that squared far? up with a world without suffering by going out and causing suffering? That's the right. one thing I can't square with. But these that's people. but the, but uh, of course they don't make any sense because their ideology is fundamentally illogical and irrational. It goes against life itself. So of course they're going to say things that just make no sense whatsoever. You know. But their rational, their their bizarre narrative around that is that you have to kill all of the people that are causing the suffering that, to get a life without suffering. That's a first. That's, it's another, yet another motiveless mass shooting in the United States of America. But it's a first in that the guy, the perpetrator, is explicitly saying, I have no freaking motive to do this. Right. I mean, yeah, that's either how far gone it's gone. So it's a, it's a progress along the devolution of where things are going. Or we must, I want to leave that open as being something contrived about that. Could be. Who knows? That it wasn't him or whatever. But, but Talking about, yeah. Well, I want to continue with my train of thought because that happened in Thousand Oaks, Ventura County. Mm. 24 hours later, Ventura County is up in flames. Large parts of it. What? It's right next to Malibu's in Ventura County. That's it's, where the major yeah. wildfire is happening right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. You've got these up. celebrities, big time anti Trumpers, never Trumpers, hashtag resistance, fleeing the homes. Several homes are burned. I think there are two people dead. I don't know. 25 dead. 
25 dead. I think a lot of them are up in another fire, up well, in um, campfire up in Butte County. Well, but there's, there's two dead I know of in Malibu. Yeah, well, there's big, there's two major zones. One is up there uh, around uh, Ventura County, um, not far from San Francisco, and the other one is right on the right on the limits of uh, Los Angeles down south. I think, I think Ventura County is Los Angeles, and the other one is the campfire in Butte County, which is up uh, north of San Francisco. But yeah, it's just those two fires, and the first one killed a lot of people. That's the one that raised paradise to the ground. Right. Um, twenty five dead there, or twenty three, mm-hmm. and at least two dead so far in Malibu. But how weird is that? That's right. That's 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 Thousand Oaks. Basically, it's the same location. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggest there's a little conspiracy, or I'm not. I'm connecting the two because they happen sequentially. Right. And what I'm wondering is going back to what we were thinking before, whether in this general hysterical climate of oh no 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 I can't I can't hear it a world without suffering a world without suffering, reality is saying hello. Knock, 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 either, and it's going either, to tur- It's going to burn your freaking house down choo- if you keep shutting it out. Yeah, either choose your suffering, or it'll choose you. There's another thing that really pisses me off about this. There's some kind of injunction in the United States where, when, whenever something like this happens, let's say natural disasters only, and, and not contrived issues like some of them contrived, some of them just people going nuts and shooting up places. There's an injunction against saying anything remotely political. It's always this emotional guff about America strong. Yeah, we're with the firefighters and yeah, you know, we're all together. And I mean, that, there's some room for that. That's definitely that's not a bad message in itself. It's positive. It cares. It shows I care, right? It's a very liberal thing. And there's no reason why everyone can't basically get behind that. But then when Donald Trump, he, uh, issue, he, issues, he releases federal funds to help the, the wildfire uh, in California. But then he makes a comment. There's, there was no reason for these massive, deadly, and costly fires in California except the forest management is so poor. Now, was he scoring political points? Perhaps he is. But there is clearly, there's something to be said about what's going on in California right. that this keeps happening, that they're torching places, the whole towns are being wiped off the map mm-hmm. in the last few years. Okay, it's partly natural and there's nothing you can do about it, but there's clearly a lot that can be done that's not being done because there's so much freaking ideology going around about what you can and cannot say or do. Right. And the reason that hypocrisy drives me nuts, he got totally slated for making that, scoring those political points. At a time, um, yeah. at a time when, you know, it's shameful, Tragedy. dangerously wrong, the president should be more presidential, more conciliatory. Um and he did. I mean, he was. He said, "We're with those fighting the fires. It's catastrophic. God bless them all." But it, it's the, it, the hypocrisy is just. This is what drives me nuts about. It. In cases like this, you've got political messaging. No one can do it, and yet everyone's doing it. Because what is the thing they go into overdrive about? In this case, the wildfires and natural disasters, global warming. Right. Freaking global warming. They're pushing a hardcore ideological agenda. Oh, but no one's allowed to talk about politics. Right. You, you, you're, all you're talking about when these things happen is politics. Mm. You're not looking at any actual real solutions, right. to, how to help the, uh, this place that keeps flooding or that place that keeps catching wildfires. Mm-hmm. And the other one is in the cases of mass shooting. Oh, no, you can't say anything. You know, you, um, Boston's strong, America's strong, everywhere's strong. And, and God, if you, you will be 
raked over the coals if you say anything political or she's just right. uh, the obvious like in Las Vegas clearly there's something else going on there there what were about, more than what one about, gunman what about the shaming the victim or it's uh, and what happens, disrespectful the, the one saying no politics please launched in you know in humongous in campaigns about gun control right which, which is obviously a bogeyman uh, right. the targeting of the American but, right but that's the that's the irrationality and unrealism of the of those kind of lefty ideologues who who propose a solution to let's say a, a specific problem um, you know a problem like fires in California whatever their solution is let's reduce the entire world's carbon footprint you know it's like why are bringing in as many migrants as possible, and where are we going to put them? Ah, uh, let's build. Just build on to that town over there, up the hill. It doesn't matter. Just keep, keep but building. But it's completely irrational. <laughs> you know I mean, you look at the specific core, so, source of the problem, and they, they keep going to like these broad scale solutions to to what are specific problems. You know, which which at least should be investigated as specific problems in 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 the in the moment in the immediate response, like. Uh, if California's having a lot of wildfires, look at the specific reasons and look at where they're having wildfires and see if there's specific problems that need to be addressed there. But they don't say that at all. They say, let's change the world. And then the wildfires will magically disappear, you know, or mass shootings in America. Let's take guns away from everybody and that'll solve these specific problems. Because if you look at each of the specific problems, you could try and probably maybe try and find a pattern or look at the, the details, the specific details of each of those mass shootings that have happened. And you look at each one, you try and find what is the core problem there, what was actually going on. But they don't do that. Because then you get into the details and you start offending the victims' families and stuff. So you just fall back on, let's just take guns away from everybody in America. Let's take guns away from everybody in the world. Let's stop everybody in the world from driving a car to stop California wildfires. That's a good solution, right? Mm. All those people in China, stop them driving cars. That'll stop the California wildfires. It's like, it's, it's, it's beyond a name, you know? It's, it's, I don't, um, I just don't follow that kind of reasoning, you know? Uh, but it's, it's because it's ideologically driven, basically. It's, it's, it's broad scale ideology that really doesn't care when you look at it. it you have to conclude that, it, that the people who promote that don't actually care about the, the causes that they claim to care about because they're not paying attention to the specific details, you know? It's almost like, you know, they, they come across someone who has, who has cancer, you know, or something, or, or some, some ailment, and they completely dismiss, they, they f ignore the person who's suffering with cancer, and they start, you know, I don't know, uh, trying to ban cigarettes all around the world. That's what they do, you know? So it's more about them and their personal belief that smoking causes cancer, and therefore when they see they're in a room with a person who's, who's suffering from cancer, and they don't even look at them, you know, metaphorically. And instead, they go out in the street and start campaigning for ban cigarettes worldwide, you know. And it's like, you, you don't actually care in, in any real way. You don't actually care. Yeah. Because if you really cared, you would actually do what you can to help that specific person or solve that specific problem. Mm -hmm. Do all you can. Look into it. Try and understand it. Try and find the due source. diligence. Do that. Thinking it through. But they don't. It's all about using it's, reason because it's all about them. It's all about they're consumed with their own, their own belief system, and that's what they're in service to. Their own belief system, not any particular individual, not any particular immigrant, not any particular person who's oppressed. Whatever they don't give a shit. Most of them. Mm -hmm. It's all about them. So that's why we're frustrated and uh, with those kind of people. But there's always some comic relief in the form of uh, topless women running at. Um, 
Trumps at various running at cars, running at cars, or running at, at famous it's people's some famous people's thing, cars. you know. Uh, yeah, so Trump, uh, as he was driving up, I don't know if he was driving up the Champs Elysees or somewhere, he was driving up some road in Paris, and um, he uh, <laughs> he wasn't, I'm not sure if he saw it, but this bunch of famine activists, uh, two of them, I think, ran out with their you know boobs on display, and uh, and and they just, I don't know, they, I mean, they were grabbed and pulled away they didn't really uh have <laughs> they didn't really get much of a chance to uh, to do anything and they never do obviously they just uh i don't know it's kind of like it's kind of like flashing that's the form of protest or something that's the yeah that's the story there from one website tapas female protesters run towards trump's motorcade in paris there's photos and videos i don't know if you want to watch them or not but uh yeah it's like assault with deadly boobs or something. Um, I'm not sure what they intended to do, you know. It's just to be seen, to what, be photographed. It's, yeah. just, it's just to produce an article like Maybe this. It, that, that's the end in itself. They were going to um, wash his car or something. The, uh, what I'd like to say about this is <laughs> Famine. Famine was born in Ukraine. Yeah. A place where, you know, if anywhere is going to go actually fascist, as the left describes it, it's bloody Ukraine. Um, Femme was born there and practically transplanted to Paris because oppression. Right. They are hosted in Paris, probably almost certainly with some kind of funding because these, these people are from Paris. They fly all around the world <clears throat> to train activists, impressionable, young probably women. not the brightest young women all over the place to go and do an ape them. Um, so Paris is their hub. Yeah. So there they are. And Macron, Macron that's, that's the, Macron, yeah, the lack of values. Macron was singularly unimpressed by naked female. <laughs> was he? Yeah. Do you know why? Well, because he's a married man and he doesn't need to be assaulted by such, such immoral acts of depravity. He's not so much, he's not so much into naked, uh, naked or topless young women as he is into naked or topless young men young black men specifically uh, perhaps yeah, i'm sure he's i'm sure he's thing. i'm sure he's into diversity so he doesn't have he's not racist in that respect you know he's he's like he'd, he'd take all comers you know but yeah he's open to you know he's open he's open he's a good diversity president yeah anyway uh enough said about that the better um <laughs> I'm gonna have to, uh, sure. yeah yeah. Anyway, I think uh, maybe we'll leave it there for this week. I'm not sure there's much else to talk about. Um, of course, there's always other stuff to talk about. But well, one question we had was, "What's Putin and Trump going to talk about?" Well, apparently they just shook hands and had like maybe three or four words or something. Uh, that's the latest. They just they did have actually exchanged a few words on the sidelines because apparently they were put together at the, at a seating arrangement for the war memorial, uh, but then then they were moved. Someone actually moved Putin away from Trump. So he was pushed away. So then afterwards, he just got there was there was an opportunity potentially for them to have, sit and chat while they were sitting near each other. But then some, my top somebody in, moved them. My top insider, <clears throat> yeah, your Kremlin insider, informed yeah. me. I have the pre privilege of breaking this news that Trump said to Putin, "I got your back," and Putin said back to him, "Yes, everything is going to plan. Carry on." Ah, so that's what they said. Interesting words. Hmm. 
That's that's maybe we have to do what can it all mean? We'll have to do a show on that. <laughs> hmm. Uh Putin said yes, my hackers have everything under control. All is going to plan. Um yeah. So they didn't talk much anyway. It was just uh, I, I think they are, is, we're gonna have an inf- a meeting, weren't they? They weren't gonna bother with the this Macron's Paris Peace Forum. Yeah, thing. last I heard was that they just had a few words, or whatever. And I don't know if Trump's going to take off pretty quick. You know, after today, probably this evening or something. Like that so probably not much will come of it. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's. I think that's more or less all the news that's fit or that we're fit to talk about uh, for today. So, um, if you like this video, subscribe, like it, whatever, um, share it around. Um, we'll be back next week with another show so until then thanks for watching and have a good evening see you next week bye